And as we look to the future, I think that given the events of the last couple of years, we've sort of honed in on two or three areas that we think will be very important. So the first one is obviously supply chain sustainability. Um, uh, but then also what comes into that for us is uh, agri-tech security or like food security for the region. And then sort of slightly lesser in terms of security, but energy scarcity and sort of building a more sustainable future. Sasha Heider is the youngest partner of a VC firm in the MENA region, leading the investment team at Global Ventures, which was established in Dubai in 2018 and backs growth stage and tech-focused founders in emerging markets around the world, with a ticket size of around $3 million or less. So far, the firm has deployed more than $100 million across more than 40 companies. On average, the team of 27 people across seven geographies and 17 nationalities screens around 250 companies monthly. Sasha, I took that from the Forbes 30 under 30 write-up for you from last year. Congratulations on being included on that list. So you at Global Ventures actually invest in emerging markets and are really focused on increasing access to digital services, digital goods. And you have a bit of an investment thesis that there's a huge opportunity to leapfrog legacy supply chain systems in developing markets. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And thank you for joining. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And, and thank you so much for the acknowledgement. I really appreciate that. Um, in terms of sort of supply chains as, as the focus, uh, maybe I'll take a quick step back. So I think that we're a sector agnostic uh, VC firm. So, you know, I would not pretend to be an expert in any subject. But usually each of our, you know, every so often we have a think around what are going to be some of the most important issues uh, of the next five to 10 years or what will sort of be the underpinning technology. So at the birth of our first fund in 2018, it was really fintech because we saw that as layer one uh, of all innovation. For our second fund, and this was sort of just before the pandemic, uh, we saw health tech as sort of one of, or healthcare, I guess, as a sector for big disruption. So a significant portion of our second fund was invested there. Uh, and as we look to the future, I think that given the events of the last couple of years, we've sort of honed in on two or three areas that we think will be very important. So the first one is obviously supply chain sustainability. Um, uh, but then also what comes into that for us is uh, agri-tech security or like food security for the region. And then sort of slightly lesser in terms of security, but energy scarcity and sort of building a more sustainable future. So I think that supply chain fits into this wider thesis or thought that we're having that the next five years sustainability uh, of food, energy and, you know, sort of supply chain, how we get and receive goods is sort of the, the bigger picture thesis. How we get and receive goods was something I don't think many people thought of until about three years ago when suddenly it became kind of one of the foremost thoughts <laughs> to most of us. And then the supply chain, the amount of disruption that it felt during the pandemic now seems like it just will never recede. We've got war in Ukraine, inflationary pressures, China reopening. There's all of these kind of dynamics in play that make it seem like the supply chain, which we took for granted, it felt like before the pandemic is now something that's no longer a given. And we actually are interested in disrupting the supply chain, implementing tech into the supply chain. Like, describe to me how you guys are actually looking at this issue. Um, maybe even just for the listener, define, you know, what is, what all goes into actually getting that package to your doorstep, which is just one one aspect of the supply chain. But yeah. What what, what sure. break down the segments of the supply chain for someone like you who's looking at it from an investor perspective? Where are the points? Yeah, for sure. So I think I'll, I'll just double down on what you said. I think we're we live in a world of instant gratification, 
where people want, you know, whatever it is that they see online immediately. And I think it's becoming more and more of a reality that we can get goods delivered to our doorstep the next day, whether it's Amazon Prime or, you know, this under 24 hour delivery. But I think most people, to your point, and despite what's happened in the last couple of years, would really have a tough time understanding where things have come from um, and how they've sort of reached them. Uh, and one of the numbers that really astounded me or things I thought about um, what, like, you know, as we were pulling together this research was, you know, 100 years ago or less than 100 years ago, there were 200 individual items in the average supermarket. Uh, we now live in a day and age where there are 40,000 different uh, SKUs in any given supermarket, right? So I think, you know, we've seen this exponential growth amount around consumption more than anything, uh, where people are used to, regardless of the, the time of year, are used to having their shelves stocked with, you know, fruits that are out of season and couldn't be grown where they are, or, you know, things that come from the furthest corners of the world. And, and we reference that in our report, you know, the, the pink salt from the Himalayas or berries from the U.S. And and actually, you know, there's something quite inherently unsustainable about that, but it's just really the way that we consume right now. Um, but in terms of how we think about supply chain or, you know, how, you know, how we break it down, it's we really look at it as the journey of a product, uh, starting really at like, you know, the, the point of manufacturing, which is, you know, um, how good gets made, the raw materials that go into it. And then sort of the journey from the factory to port, whether that's an airport or a seaport. Um, and then, you know, we kind of call that the first mile or whether that's on land, by air, um, sort of how it gets to the middle mile, which is where you have these distribution centers and things are then broken down, um, you know, into smaller uh, packages and then sent on to the last mile, uh, which are then these providers who then get it finally to the end consumer. So really the way we think about supply chain is like as something is made um, or grown, how does it get from the point of origination all the way into the consumer's hand. And then sort of across that, we have this, um, we, we see enablers that run across uh, the entire value chain. So the different types of technology, whether that's financing technology that can be used across the value chain, uh, or whether that's, you know, different types of drones, et cetera, that could be used at different points of the value chain as well. Um, so yeah, we, we think about it as the journey of a product. And my understanding is that the supply chain, the way it's been managed to date, has been fairly old-fashioned, fairly analog. There's not been a whole lot of modernization. I mean, except for what is often, I think, we've seen plenty of commercials about logistics. If you've ever seen a FedEx or UPS commercial, how happy logistics are and, you know, Amazon warehouses that are, um, there's as many robots as there are humans uh, in those fulfillment centers. Uh, there's a sense that it's being modernized, but then also once you start confronting all of these delays, there's also a sense that this is a very old, very stodgy industry that's really ripe for some tech. So what is your sense of that? Yeah, no, 100%. I think that one of the things that we underestimate sometimes is how complex supply chains are. So, I mean, just given what's happened in the last sort of 30 to 40 years and like the increasing globalization and the drive to push down costs, there's different centers of productions for different pieces of different products that then have to come together in a certain place, be assembled. And then, you know, there's consumers all over the world and there's, you know, multiple middlemen and there's a huge amount of inefficiencies. You know, a product might say, sit at a port for a few days um, before it even moves anywhere to the next point. So it's one, it's it's inherently very, very complex. And that's what why it's been quite difficult to modernize it. Secondly, there's this large amount of physical infrastructure um, that most of the incumbents have. So to the names you mentioned, like the DHLs and the FedExes and for new players, it's very difficult for them to try and recreate 
um, that type of phys- physical infrastructure. So, you know, you, we are largely dependent on some of those incumbents making changes to how things are done. Um, and then I was shocked to find one of the statistics that I heard that I was really shocked to find was 50% of large freight companies use Excel sheets to manage their operations. So I think that, you know, the whole saying that if it's not broken, why fix it? Um, you know, you know, there's very little digitization, although we are seeing, like, you know, an increasing shift towards it. So, yeah, it's very ripe for disruption. I think that the, you know, COVID-19 pandemic highlighted that, you know, with, there was four trillion dollars in in revenue lost due to supply chain breakdown that you know that this is a real problem um and i think that we're seeing an opportunity for technology to sort of come in around the incumbents and existing physical infrastructure and, and you know make some serious improvements you referenced earlier the just how globalized our supply chain and our economy global economy is but there's been kind of a backlash to that following the pandemic and there's a bit of a resurgence around localization and this new buzzword i'm seeing pop up more and more deglobalization. Can you talk about localization and deglobalization and how that fits into the future supply chain, how supply chains might actually look different going forward if we kind of you know s- stop celebrating globalization so much and then instead emphasize localization a bit more? Yeah. So I actually don't think the two things have to be entirely mutually exclusive. Like I'm inherently a globalist and I actually think it's a good thing that um, supply chains are, are, you know, are somewhat globalized and that we do rely on uh, various parts of the world for various goods and services. I think it fosters better cooperation uh, for us as countries um, and brings us closer together. At the same time, I think that there's obviously an inherent risk. Uh, around relying on different parts of different goods and services to come from each part of the world. So I think that the next sort of five to 10 years and the push towards localization will be more around building the ability and the know-how and the optionality around different sources for a supply chain. So, um, you know, you could be, you could procure a good or service from China or, you know, with 3D printing, you could locally print um, you know, the input that you're looking for for the manufacturing process as well, right? So I think it's more around building that know-how, using technology to bridge the gap, and then sort of de-risking by having alternative sources in the supply chain. And that's really where I see the opportunity for, for localization. I think that there are still obviously um, sort of economies of scale to producing certain goods and services at scale in different markets and having them shipped across uh, but it's really about de-risking in terms of building in that that optionality in the supply chain and having sort of multiple sources for certain goods so that if there's a disruption at one point in the supply chain or with one provider that you could then, um, you know, have alternative sources for the same good. I'm seeing, I, I'm wondering what school of thought you ascribe to. I'm seeing sort of a tale of two consumers emerging. There's one consumer who's very conscious of the environment and really wants a lot of visibility and transparency into the supply chain and even knows what a supply chain is. And then there's another consumer, um, the one I think that we talked about at the top of this, which is, you know, they expect their shipment in 24 hours or less. They really don't know how it got there. It's just this magical thing that happens. And it's the thing that's now filling landfills. There's just a massive amount of waste in our um, kind of always consuming culture. And so there's two schools of thought, it seems, that are emerging that there's one, consumers expect what they want when they want it in less than 24 hours. And then there's another, which is consumers are becoming more nuanced and more, uh, more versed in, you know, 
eco kind of consuming. Which one do you buy into? Which one are you paying attention to? Which one do you think will actually drive markets in the next five to 10 years? So I'm going to give you a really annoying answer to this one because I really think it's somewhere between the two. Yeah. Yeah, it's both. And it's both because I think that, you know, one of the challenges that we've um, experienced in the last sort of five to 10 years, or even longer than that, is it's not necessarily a challenge of if you receive something tomorrow, then it is unsustainable. I think that the instant gratification piece and where goods and services come from and building better traceability and understanding of, of how we obtain goods and services is very important. But a lot of the reason that we haven't received goods and services in a timely manner historically or through our supply chain is because there's a lack of operational excellence or there's a lack of data visibility or there's a lack of uh, different um, sort of management software as being able to communicate with each other. And I see really, you know, we can, you know, I, I see an opportunity for, for technology to bridge the gap there, right? So I think I alluded to it earlier, but, you know, in a supply chain, there's fundamentally many different middlemen as it stands. There's multiple hands and, you know, involved in the passing of a good through to the consumer. And a lot of the time, there's very poor data visibility and, and understanding of, you know, information around where that good is right now and how it's going to get to the next person. And that's like a small space where, you know, like technology can bridge the gap by, you know, building a bit more traceability and understanding where a good is, whether that's like, you know, IoT devices that are, you know, able to track uh, track software or API integrations, which allow different softwares to speak to each other, depending on who the providers are. Um, I think that, you know, we could build more operational excellence to drive a, a faster and more seamless consumer experience, right? I think that the eco-sustainable part of the conversation is the way that we have obtained goods and services historically. And I, you know, I think that there are some large fast, fast fashion brands, which are, you know, famously known for this is around how we consume and the the core materials that go into the goods and services that we wear. And then the modes of manufacturing, are those sustainable? Is there child labor involved? Um, and I think that, you know, you can have operational excellence and have a better consumer experience, but you can also, you know, have a good understanding of where your goods come from. And that. I think relies a little bit more in the interim on the conscious consumer um, and the regulator who's, I guess, a bit more tough on, on people who sort of flaunt the rules. Um, and then the, the consumer experience piece is really up to the private sector, the providers of, of the, the supply chain experience, I guess. I want to talk a bit more about actually just getting what actually is being delivered when we talk about, we're talking really about e-commerce as part of the supply chain right now. And um, your ex- expertise area really is in sub-Saharan Africa, and you've looked at um, just getting food and pharmaceuticals, just the basics. I think when we talk about instant gratification and consumer want, we're not really talking about, um, we're not necessarily talking about just material wants. We're talking about basic necessities. So how can emerging markets, how can the MENA region, you know, be in, be a forward forward mover, like be a first mover on improving supply chain to just get essential goods and services to those who most need it. How can emerging markets actually leapfrog where a lot of this is failing them already? They're not getting the food and pharmaceuticals that they actually need right now. Yeah, so so we focus on the, the Middle East, Africa. And what's really interesting is like, obviously we have the, the GCC within that and the UAE, which is, you know, a very developed uh, country with great uh, infrastructure. And then on the other hand, we we look at markets like Egypt and Nigeria, 
where there is like a more significant gap in terms of infrastructure, right? Um, and if you think about Africa uh, for, for a minute or think about sub-Saharan Africa, one of our portfolio companies, Remedial Health, tackles pharmaceutical supply chain in that market and is essentially servicing the, the tier two and tier three city pharmacies, which are the mom and pop shops that have, you know, like a few SKUs and are the community pharmacy, right? And that's like, you know, I, you know that's a very fundamental need um, in those markets. Um, and I think the challenges there historically have been that it's very fragmented. Uh, so there's multiple players. And, you know, I think for the average pharm- pharmacist, they have to go to multiple different sources to procure the medicine they need. So, uh, you know, anything that's able to sort of centralize that and bring that together solves the problem in a really significant way. Um, and sort of on top of that, given that there's like a gap in infrastructure within those markets, there's a real opportunity for tech to, you know, bridge that gap, but then also to start doing things in a new way without having to overcome any legacy or, you know, previous, like, you know, previous existing systems or have to work the same way uh, with the incumbents, like the large uh, freight forwarders, et cetera, like you would maybe in in more developed markets. Like, you know, there's a lot of vested interest. Conversely, um, and I think, yeah, I think, you know, we, we discussed you know, about the problems that we have across our markets, so certain things as vitamins and other things as painkillers. And then in sub-Saharan Africa, um, and then even North Africa to a significant extent, we see things more as painkillers rather than vitamins. Um, and, you know, but, but you know, there's still, it's also worth noting that there is obviously growing e-commerce uh, on the continent as well. Um, and that is driving a lot of the um, improvements in supply chain and the logistics infrastructure there as well. Uh, on the other hand, we have the, the UAE and, and, you know, the GCC, where we have, you know, as I mentioned, you know, the sort of fundamentally much stronger infrastructure, the presence of the large incumbents in quite a significant way, uh, much higher um, GDP per capita and, you know, the higher disposable income, uh, you know, and, and and higher e-commerce penetration to a certain extent, right? Um, and with that in mind, we also have a very, very friendly regulator who's, you know, willing to adopt uh, certain technologies, like, you know, we've, we've had, you know, really interesting conversations with, with drone companies in the region, uh, you know, and we really see, given the vision for the UAE and, and Saudi, how these things could become a reality in these markets really soon. So I think that in, in these markets, we, ha- we have the opportunity and the opportunity is there to really adopt some of the, the newer technology, just given, you know, the presence of a friendly regulator and a very, um, very digitally savvy consumer as when well. are we getting drone deliveries in the uae do you have any do you have any insight on that i don't have a specific date but I, I i definitely see the region as being one of the early adopters i don't think it's too far away this year uh, in the future next year <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to tell you all right but i do want to talk a little bit more a little bit more about the uae they have operation 300 billion the made in the uae initiative there's kind of a range of um, initiatives at the public policy level, at the you know federal investment level, to really push localization and becoming more of a logistics hub. Can you t- speak a little bit to that? What opportunities are right here in our backyard, and how does that open up opportunities for you guys? Yeah, for sure. So I think that um, we we you know the UAE has always been a hub. I don't think that's something new. I think you know right. if you if you look at us on a map and if you think about it takes us six hours to get to, to any given place we'd like to go, we have some of the most direct flights, right, in terms of air cargo. 
And we've seen, you know, that the the UAE is a bulk breaking place for for um, you know goods and service, goods that come from from China to Africa, and can really be the sort of center point, um, you know, in terms of like this global trade network. So so geographically, actually, we're placed very well. Right, uh, UAE has long that. been a center point, but it's uh, not been an originator for very long. It, there's n- yeah. very little that's made and shipped from here. A lot comes here and then goes back out in different formats. But the ambition really is to be an originator. Can you you speak to that ambition? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, historically, we've not really produced much in this part of the world. And I mean, that's not a secret. But I think increasingly, as more and more technical talent comes to the region, as there's like, you know, more adoption of technology, there's really an opportunity uh, just given sort of one where we're geographically placed, but then also the sort of innovation hub that the UAE is becoming for us to adopt some of like, you know, the additive manufacturing technologies um, in this part of the world and and build sort of a manufacturing hub around certain uh, verticals in the region as well. But I think that it's like, I think it's it's two things. So I think that historically we've always been perhaps not a point of origination and we've been this hub, but I think that the next five to 10 years we're going to see the region double down on on this hub or this like center point for trade as well. So I think that there's going to be a more concentrated effort towards building that trade corridor between the UAE and Africa. And I think equally towards other bits of Asia as well, Um, just sort of reinforcing our sort of role or place in central supply chains. And then obviously where local manufacturing has an edge, uh, it would definitely make sense for, you know, for for the UAE to become a a manufacturing hub. Right. Before we, And I just want to ask you about a career in VC. You're one of our younger guests that we've spoken to in in recent memory. And I just want for listeners who are thinking about a career in maybe venture capital, particularly in this region, what advice do you have? I mean, this is an an amazing job. I think I kind of alluded to it, like you get to learn about different things every single day and and, um, get to sort of spend time with experts um, in, in different fields and learn about and think about the future and what that's going to look like. Um, the one piece of advice I'd say, and I think this is, is this is um, stuck with me, um, and it's actually the only requirement that I have when I hire somebody is that, you know, be curious. Uh, so always be willing to ask questions or be, always be willing to try and understand why things the way are the way they are. Um, and I think that will serve you you really well. Um, because there's lots that we don't know, uh, and I'm reminded that every day doing this job. But I feel like I find being curious uh, really helps, because if you're if you're willing to find out the answer, you know you you know I think it can can take you very far. Sasha Heider of Global Ventures, thanks for talking to me today. Thank you very much for having me. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe wherever you get your audio content. All that's left is to thank our production team and you for listening. <laughs>